Well, turn with me back to Ephesians chapter 5 this evening. Ephesians chapter 5, as we continue focusing on the theme of the fact that we have only one life to live, that we have one opportunity to live the life that God has entrusted to us, and we are to strive to make the most of that life. And we've been studying Ephesians chapter 5, focusing on verse 15 last night, which says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. We saw Paul exhort us, the exhortation to a carefully lived life, and we're reminded of the misconceptions about that kind of a life. It doesn't mean that we're so cautious that we never take any risks. There may be a, a couple of people in the room tonight who wish they'd taken less risks today, um, but that's, uh, that's okay. Uh, so we're not to live an overly cautious life, not a life of paralysis, afraid of failure or afraid of making a mistake. But we, we saw Paul give us a description of that life. It's a life of wisdom, a life intentionally seeking to follow what God has revealed in His Word, His will for us in the Scriptures. And we should do that because of the motivation for a carefully lived life, because Christ is worthy. We want to be living worthy of the calling we've received in Christ, of what He's done, and because sin is deadly and destructive and if we're going to do that, we need to avoid the distractions from a carefully lived life, our own sinful desires and the ungodly influences of others and, and even different substances that if we abuse those will limit our ability to function in a way that is careful and sober-minded. Well, in addition to this overarching commitment that we see in verse 15 to, to be careful how we walk, Paul gives us a, a, a really follow-up aspect of this in verse 16 when he says, As we're doing this, we should be making the most of your time because the days are evil. So tonight we want to kind of focus in a little bit. Last night was more big picture. Here's how we overall want to think about our life, committing to live under the wisdom and will of God. Now we want to think more about the details of our life, the day-to-day, moment-by-moment decisions that we make, seeking to make the most of our time. Now, making the most of your time doesn't mean that you frantically run from one thing to the next as quickly as you can, just burning all your energy as fast as you can until you collapse in a heap of like, I can't do anything else. That's not what Paul is describing. But he is describing for us the careful and intentional use of our time. If we're going to live that way, we first need to just understand some principles about time and our use of it. So let's start with the realities about the use of time. Some biblical realities about the use of time that we see in this passage. The first is that you have been entrusted with a limited amount of time. You have been entrusted with a limited amount of time. Again, look at verse 16. He says, we should be making the most of your time. Now, that word for time is not the normal word for clock time, like minutes or hours. It's a word that's used more to refer to a, a season or an opportunity. It's an idea that focuses really on the fact that there's a limited amount of time and opportunity in our life, that the time is continuing to pass by. It's limited. 
Kevin DeYoung said that time may be our scarcest and most precious resource. I mean, if you think about it, most other things in life you can get more of. If you don't have enough of it or all that you want of it, there are steps you can take to get more of it. You know, if you think of, of money, you want more money, you can get another job. You can try to invest. You can get more education. You can do all sorts of things. You, you want more energy, you know, you can take your five-hour energy or drink your Red Bull and get wings or whatever it is that that does for you. You can try to get more of that. I, I'm losing my hair on the top. Every time my, my children take a picture of me from the back, it's, it's a reminder that my hair is going. But there are actually things I could do to try to get more hair. Now, I, I'm not probably going to do those. Uh, but you can buy stuff that helps your hair to grow back. So like at most things in life, there's a way to get more of it. But time, is that's not the case. You cannot get more time. God has ordained the number of your days, how long your life is. Job 14.5 says, Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, and his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. God has set a limit to your days, and there is nothing you can do to pass that limit. Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. God has ordained, He has established the number of days that you will have. Some of you will have a lot of days. It's possible in a room this size that someone will, will uh, have a, a much fewer number of days than they would anticipate or expect. But God has ordained the number of your days. You cannot get more of them. But God has also ordained the length of each of your days. You get 24 hours every day. That's how God made the world. 24 hours, evening and morning. Now, there's some things you can do to have a really long day. Christy and I got to visit um, one of our missionaries over in Istanbul um, over Thanksgiving. And uh, Christy's sister lives over there also. And so we did have one day that was like 33 hours, sort of, because we flew back and we gained time back that we had lost going over. But the reality is still 24 hours, even though it was a long day. So there, there's 24 hours in a day, 168 hours a week, 8,760 hours in a year. We're here on January 4th. You could do the math and figure out how many hours you got left in 2024. It's fixed. It's established. You have a limited amount of time. The reality is God doesn't expect you to do everything because he's given you a limited amount of time. Some of you guys went hiking today. Who were the hikers who went? Some of you guys went skiing and snowboarding today. You, you couldn't do both. There's a limited amount of time, limited opportunity. You couldn't do everything that you might want to do. God doesn't expect you to do everything, but he does expect you to care about his priorities and to be careful how you use the limited time he's given you which is really the second reality that we see, that you are responsible to be a good steward of your limited time. He says, be careful how you walk, making the most of your time, or maximizing or redeeming the time. The idea of being a steward of something is that you are caring for something on behalf of someone else. 
You may be a, someone who's done some babysitting and, and someone is entrusting their child to you. H- how do you think about being a babysitter? Are you like, you know, sweet, I got money. The parents aren't even here. Doesn't really matter what that kid does. I mean, as long as they're alive when they get back, hopefully that's not how you think as a babysitter, right? You want to care well for that child. I mean, today, as, as Brandon, who's stewarding this group, was in the ER with someone like Caleb, I mean, he feels a weight of responsibility, right? I'm gonna, I want to care well for this, this one who's been entrusted to me. That's the idea of, of being a steward, and that's how we're to think about our time and really our, our money and gifts and other things, but we're to recognize God has given us these seasons, these opportunities, these moments, and He wants us to make the most of those, to steward them well, to use them well. You know, sometimes I think we think if I'm making the most of my time, I should be able to do everything, or at least everything that's, that's good, but again, that's not true. You can't do everything but you can choose how you will use the time that God has given you. You know, some of us feel, uh, Kevin Young writes, uh, a low level of guilt that comes from not doing enough. It's like, oh, if I could only pray more, only read my Bible more, and only serve more. And there's a place for doing more of good things. But the reality is not, am I doing more of everything I could do? It's, am I using the time that I have, the total amount of time that God's given me, am I using it well in accordance with the priorities that God has given me? You can always, you can think, if, if only I, I prayed another hour a day, another hour, but it's like, no, there's, there's a limited amount of time, but you have to decide, how do I use that well according to the, the priorities that God has given us? So don't feel guilt that you can't do everything you wish you could do. Don't be frustrated by the limited amount of time that you have. It's actually how God made you. God made us to have a limited amount of time and to make decisions about how we're going to use that time well. But they are decisions. They're choices. How many of you have ever said, oh, I don't have time for that? You ever said that? Yeah, we've all said that, right? But the reality is what we should be saying is, I'm not choosing to spend time on that. We, we have the opportunity to decide how we're going to use our time, and we, have, we need to make intentional decisions about that. That's, that's really what we see in Jesus. Jesus' example is not of someone who is frantically running from one thing to the next, always feeling like, I don't have enough time to do what I want to do today, what I need to do today, and I'm, I'm just frustrated by that and always burning the candle on both ends. That's not Jesus, as he demonstrates a perfect life of obedience to the Lord. Look at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Jesus recognized he had a limited amount of time, a limited amount of opportunity, and he was content but intentional on what he did with his time. Mark 1 gives us a little snapshot of Jesus. In verse 35, notice it says, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companion searched for him. We'll talk a little more about this later in our lesson tonight. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now, how would most of us feel at that moment? Most of us would probably feel like, 
we've somehow disappointed people, maybe the disciples who are getting to interact with these people, maybe all the people who are looking for us, we would feel this obligation of, of how we should um, try to do what they expect us to. But notice Jesus' response. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby. It's shocking, isn't it? Like, hey, all these people want to see you, Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, let's go somewhere else. Why? Let's go somewhere else so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. You see, Jesus had a crystal clear perspective of the priorities that drove the use of his time. And he understood there's a lot of other expectations. There's a lot of other things I could be doing. But this is what I am here to do, and I'm going to stay focused on that. See, it's so easy to, to get distracted by what we could do instead of focusing on what we should do. No, there are a million things we can spend our time on. There are a million things that people can pressure us to do. We need to think carefully about what are the priorities that God has given us. How do we steward our time in a way that honors Him and in a way that loves and serves others as He has called us to? Now, this doesn't mean that we won't be busy. Jesus was busy, right? You remember when he was asleep on the boat in the middle of the storm. Why was Jesus asleep on the boat in the middle of the storm? It's not a trick question. He was tired, right? He felt kind of like you do, maybe. Long day, and it's like, oh, I can barely keep my eyes open. Why? Because he was actively expending energy, doing the things that God called him to do. It's not that we won't be tired or busy, but the busyness that's bad, Kevin Young writes, is not the busyness of work, but the busyness that works hard at the wrong thing. And so it's important that we think about what we should do, which brings us to a third reality about the use of our time, which is there are universal requirements for the use of some of your time. There are universal requirements, meaning there are things that if you look at the calendar of every person in this room, whether that's an actual calendar written down or just you look at the day-to-day the, the -day events of their life, there are universal things that should characterize everybody who's seeking to honor the Lord. We, we see that back in Ephesians 5 and verse 17 that we looked at briefly last night, where he says we should be making the most of the time because the days are evil. We'll come back to that. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord for you and for me has some things that are true for all of us, universally. Where do we find those things? Well, first we find them from the commands of God. The things that God has specifically commanded you and I to do. Those are universal requirements for the use of our time. Somebody tell me, what's something God has commanded that take time that is true for every single person in this room? Yes. Pray. Okay. Other things. Repent. To repent. Yep. Takes time to be with the Lord, to focus on our sin, confess that sin. Yes. Reading God's word, sharing the gospel. Yeah. If we're going to evangelize, there's going to be some relationships with people who are not in Christ and intentional opportunities. We mentioned reading God's word. What else? Fellowship. Yeah. Don't forsake the assembling together, being gathered with God's people prioritizing that, especially on the Lord's day, but other opportunities, ministry opportunities to serve. Yeah, God has commanded us 
to do those things. He's commanded us to do other things, to work. He's commanded us to rest. That's part of what God has said should be characteristic of our life. That's part of why this is not a frantic living. This is a balanced life of, of fulfilling the priorities God has given. So the commands of God, where he says, this is something you should do, that is one of the things that should drive the use of our time. It's not just the commands of God, it's also the design of God. The design of God. Think about how God made you. God made you to need to do certain things as a human. One of those things is to eat. Matthew 6 reminds us of God's provision. Have you ever thought about why did God make us where we need to eat in order to continue to function or to eat as often as we do? It's like, man, we could be a lot more productive if we didn't spend time eating meals every day. I mean, if you just could ski all day and not have to come in and eat, but that's not how God made you, right? He made you to be reminded day after day, multiple times a day, that you are finite, that you wear out, and you are dependent upon the Lord for the provision that He has made. That's, it's not bad to spend time eating and even enjoying the food that God has given us, the good gifts. You're going to leave here eventually, and you're going to sleep, right? Again, think of that. Why did God make us such that we spend like a third of our life, give or take, sleeping, laying in a dark place with our eyes closed, just sleeping. Why, why do we need that time to recharge? What is God's intent? Again, He wants us to see the contrast between us and Him. Does God sleep? Nope. Every time you go to bed, it's a reminder, I can't keep going and going and going, but God can, and God is continuing to work when I am sound asleep and have no idea what's going on in the world. God wants you to use your time eating. He wants you to use your time sleeping. We tend to minimize the importance of sleep. It's important that we are resting as God intends, not being lazy, not being sluggardly, but recognizing our limitations and being okay with that. Doesn't mean it's wrong to be tired. There's certainly right seasons where we will sacrifice sleep to do things that are good. You chose to come on a bus where you slept little because you were sacrificing for fellowship and to be a part of God's creation. It's not that we can never neglect sleep, but we should be careful in that way. Physical activity is another thing that God has given us that is helpful for us to be healthy and productive. So God has given universal things that should be a part of all of our days and weeks, a part of all of our time, because He's commanded them and He's designed us as humans to need to do those things. But it's also true, fourthly, that there are unique responsibilities for the use of some of your time. If we look at, again, how each person in this room should spend their time, it's not exactly the same, is it? Ephesians 5 16 doesn't say making the most of your time and therefore here is the daily schedule that you should keep as a Christian and everybody it's exactly the same you get up and you do this and then you do this and then you do this and then you do this why well because all of us are different and all of us have different responsibilities for the use of some of our time where does that come from well one it comes from your particular roles you see you have God-given roles some of which are unique to you, uh, or at least unique to a subset of people, maybe similar for many in this room. And those roles may change over time. 
that come with their own biblical priorities, that which is commanded of those in that role. We see this just in the, the rest of Ephesians 5. You're familiar with this book, most likely, and so you know that where does Paul go in the coming verses? Well, he starts talking about wives, and he starts talking about husbands and the things that they're to do, and he starts talking about children and fathers and slaves and masters. What is he doing? He's saying these are specific commands, specific responsibilities that go with these roles. I'm a dad. Part of what I spend my time doing, according to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, is bringing up my children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Many of you in this room are not dads, and so you don't spend time bringing up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord right now. You may one day, but there are unique things about each season of life and the roles that God has given you that affect the use of your time. I want you to think about what are some of the roles that you have and some of the biblical priorities for the use of time that go along with that role. Time to wake up again. Okay, yeah, you may be a student, right? So you are studying in order to prepare yourself for the future. That is a wise use of your time. And as a student, what are certain things that you should do? Well, you should do your work excellently unto the Lord, which means when that teacher assigns you something to do, you should carve out time to say, I, I want to do this in, in fulfilling all the priorities of life. I want to do this well. I do have limited time, but I want to fulfill that. I am really thankful that I am at a season of life where I don't have homework. I still have things to study. I still have things to do, but it's a different season. But you, if you're a student, that's a, a legitimate use of your time in faithfulness to the Lord. What else? That's it. You're a student, only a student. Yes. Yeah, you're a, you're a son or a daughter. How many of you guys live at home still with your parents? Yeah, so if you're living at home, you have certain things that God commands you to do, obeying your parents, serving in the context of your home. If you don't live at home, you're still to honor your parents, which means you do things like talk to them occasionally, calling them, stopping by, those sorts of things, serving them, honoring them. As your parents get older, it looks even more intentional to, to care for them as they age and those things. Absolutely. Those are good uses of time based on that role as God has commanded us. What else? Work. Work, yeah. You may be an employee. You may be a boss. There are certain things that you are expected to do in relation to that. Again, Ephesians 6 gives us some of the principles that would apply to how we use our time in that context. What else? Yeah, you're a member of a church. If you're a, a Christian, a follower of Christ, that's going to come with its own set of priorities, right? Of knowing Christ and, and, and growing in your relationship with Him. It also means you're connected to the body of Christ, to the church. And there are certain things that are commanded of Christians to gather, to serve, using our gifts. All of those things should be intentional uses of time. What else? Yeah, you're a sibling. So you have the joy of doing what as a sibling? What's the biblical priority as a sibling? Lots of siblings here. I have three daughters for here. Exciting. Yeah, you may get to love and serve your siblings. You may get to do things for younger siblings that, that they need help with or would be blessed by. Maybe it's just being a good friend and time talking and listening and, 
and uh, encouraging them. You have friends, relationships with friends. God tells us what a good friend looks like and how we interact and seek to spur one another on. So you guys, you have universal things that God says every Christian should do these things. And then you have your life with specific roles. And God says you are to faithfully fulfill those roles, which also requires the use of your time and various priorities. Now, not all these priorities carry equal importance all the time. You, you remember the, the story of Jesus when he came with Mary and Martha, and, and Mary was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word, but Martha, it says in Luke 10, 40, was distracted with all her preparations and came and said to him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? And he said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary that Mary has chosen. It wasn't that, Mary, or that uh, Martha was doing bad things. It was appropriate for her to do that. But at that moment, there was a clear prioritization of what she should have been doing. And she was focused on something that was not bad, but it wasn't the best thing, the right thing that she was to do. And so a big part of what we have to do as Christians who want to be careful how we walk, making the most of our time, is to be evaluating all the different things that God has said should be uh, a part of our life and figuring out how do we seek to do those things well without neglecting one or more of the significant priorities that God has given us. It's very easy to neglect those things. College students, it's very common for them to neglect church involvement or church ministry because they're, they feel like they're busy. And they are busy. But I have news for you. You're not as busy as you will be someday. Life continues to get busier. And, and so we have to learn to prioritize those things that God has given. So we have some unique responsibilities that come from our particular roles. We also have unique responsibilities that come from your providential circumstances. How many of you guys had your day go pretty much the way you thought it was going to go when you woke up this morning and you thought about what your day was going to look like? Yeah, some of you. How many of you had your day go really different? Some of you can raise an arm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, many in this room had it look different. I, I don't think that Jake or Michael thought when they woke up today, man, I'm really looking forward to three hours in the ER today. I mean, that just would really, I, I'd love to ride in one of those cool things they bundle people up on when they're sliding down the, uh, the ski slope, bringing them down to the ER. No, like the Lord in his providence sometimes says, okay, you're going to spend some time differently today than what you expected. I'm going to bring something about in your life in a way that directs the use of your time more specifically. And it's our job, again, in those moments to say, how do I honor the Lord in what he has brought in my life? If I find myself in the doctor's office I didn't really plan to be in, what does it look like for me to trust the Lord and honor Him? If I find myself in the tire repair shop because I got a flat tire today and that wasn't what I expected, what does it look like? How does God want me to use my time to use this season, this opportunity in the midst of how He has providentially directed me? So guys, we have a limited amount of time 
and we are to faithfully steward it according to God's will and his wisdom as revealed in his word for us, for our circumstances, for our, the roles he has given us at this season of life. But the reality is this is not easy. Notice verse 16, he says, making the most of your time because the days are evil. You see, if we just go through life and do whatever comes naturally to our own hearts and whatever comes naturally in our culture and our world, we will not make the most of the time. The days are evil. Doesn't mean everything about any particular day is evil. Doesn't mean the fact that you have days are evil. Days are a gift from the Lord. But it means days are surrounded by and filled with that which is evil, which is, which is tempting us in the use of our time and how we would live. Sometimes it's things that are sinful, that are evil, as Paul describes here, that are calling out for us to use our time that we need to say no to. Sometimes it's, it's morally neutral things. It's not things that are sin. It's things that are fine to do, but that we need to be careful about how much of that time we're spending. You know, I think of our cell phones. It's a blessing and a gift to have a cell phone, right? It's a joy to be able to track how fast or how far you're skiing or to call ski patrol when you need it or to keep up with friends and do all sorts of things. But that's not a, that, that can easily become a distraction where we're spending too much time and we neglect other things. Sometimes it's even good things like we saw with Martha, good things that distract us from that which is better or best in that moment. Oftentimes, it's just the immediate concerns that scream loudly. The, the, the next thing that's like, oh, I have to do this, that keeps us from living intentionally. As the world is screaming at you, there's lots of things that are crying out for the use of your time. So we've seen the realities of use of our time. Let's consider, secondly, your resolve about the use of time. When you understand these things about time, that it's limited, and you have a responsibility to steward it, and God's given you specific things that should be priorities in your life as a Christian generally, along with every other Christian, and the specific roles and responsibilities that God's given you, what should your response be? Well, it should be what verse 16 says, that commitment to redeem or to make the most of your time. That's the biblical principle about your resolve about the use of your time. The biblical principle is that we should be making the most of our time. It's part of that carefully lived life, an intentional decision to say, I want to make the most of the time God has given me because of who Christ is and because I understand that I have a limited, fleeting opportunity to live for Him and honor Him in this life. And all of us should have that commitment. There's not one of us in this room, if you are a follower of Christ, who should say, you know what, it's all right, I'm just kind of going to do whatever with my time. No, we should say, I want to be careful with how I walk, including the use of my time. Every Christian should be seeking to make the most of your time. Again, does that mean you're frantic? Does that mean you're always trying to be as busy as possible? No, but it means you are looking at the priorities God's given, and you're saying, I want to be faithful to those things. We just spent a day in the mountains. Did you accomplish all the things that you could have accomplished if you were at home today? No. Did you get any homework done? 
Maybe some of you did. I hope not. Um, you know, but we're enjoying the world that God's made. We're fellowshipping. It's an appropriate thing. It's not the frantic, I've got to do something else, but it's I want to make intentional decisions about that. But guys, not every Christian's day or week will look the same, and not every Christian will seek to make the most of their time in the same manner. So it's not optional for you to say, I don't want to make the most of my time. But let's consider, secondly, some helpful practices for us. And as we talk about these things, I want us to get practical, because I think that's helpful. But I do want you to understand there's a difference between the biblical principle and some helpful practices. So we're going to talk about some things that it's okay if you say, you know what, I'm not actually going to do that in the same way that he was describing. That's fine. But you have to say, I want to make the most of my time. That's what God calls us to. So we need to keep in mind the difference between the biblical principle God commands and some practices that can be helpful. One book that I would encourage you to read at some point is by Tim Challies called Do More Better. It's a, a helpful book that is, um, is just insightful for how we can make the most of our time practically. There's also a great book by Kevin DeYoung called Crazy Busy that helps us to think about these things. A couple of the quotes I mentioned were from that book. So some helpful practices. Let's first think about managing your time. Managing your time. You know, if you tracked the use of your time for a week or a month, you know, you had an app kind of like the Winter Park app that tracks all the ski trails you do and you can get to the end of the day and look at exactly what you did, where you went and how, you, how, how much time and how fast you went, different stuff like that. If you had an app that could do that and every moment of your day or your week was tracked, do you think it would reflect the priorities we outlined above? I would guess for all of us, there would be room for improvement. Why is that? Well, I think it's often because we simply fill our times with what is most urgent. I mentioned that which is kind of screaming the loudest at us. Or we fill our time with what's most fun and enjoyable, the things that just come naturally to us, that are easy. So how do we manage our time in a way that doesn't just flow to those things, the fun stuff and the easy stuff and the stuff that's screaming the loudest at us, but in a way that reflects our biblical priorities? Well, it starts first by uh, if we're, we can identify the priority uses of our time. Identify the priority uses of our time. That's what we talked about with understanding what does the Bible say about how I should be spending my time. We need to think that way. You probably need to take some more time after tonight to think about what are the specific things that God's commanded me to do that affect the use of my time. And how do I need to think about those things in relation to one another? What are the things that I need to be spending my time on? And then secondly, it can be very helpful to establish regular routines. As every day or week is not a blank slate. What should I do today? Huh. How should, I, how should we live today? How should we live this week? You guys, the reality is there's many priorities. There are many priorities that we ought to be doing daily or at least weekly. Things that are really not optional or at least shouldn't be. And by working to establish regular routines that include these priorities, we can see them consistently fulfilled in our life. Think about Jesus. Look, look with me at, at a, a couple of verses. Flip over to the Gospel of Luke. 
And look at Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Notice what it says. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Do you notice that phrase, as was his custom? It's saying this was the normal thing that Jesus did regularly. And what was it? Well, it was on the Sabbath. Where did he go? He went into the synagogue. He, he went in and he was there, as was his custom. Every Sabbath, Jesus didn't wake up in the morning and say, what do I want to do today? No, he knew this is his custom. This was his pattern. Look at Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Actually, you don't have to flip there. I'll just read it to you. It's a short one. It says, he came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. This was a place he would go routinely with his disciples to teach, to pray, to worship. We already saw Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 39, where early in the morning, Jesus went out, and it was still dark, and he was going to a secluded place to pray, and Simon and the other companions searched for him, and they found him. I think one of the implications of that is they had some idea of where to look for him. They, they knew Jesus did this all the time. Like, if we wake up and Jesus isn't here, where is Jesus? Well, he's probably off somewhere spending time with his father praying. You see this in the example of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. You know, after Daniel found out the document was signed that would make it a, a criminal offense to pray, it says he entered his house and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. This was a regular part of his life. So establish daily routines, things that you do regularly. Time in the Word and prayer, regularly in the morning or evening. How you use time in the car when you're by yourself, maybe commuting to school or to work, listening to a sermon or music or praying, memorizing and meditating on Scripture. Maybe weekly routines, thinking through what are the things that are characteristic of my life throughout the week. Things like Sunday afternoon or Monday morning, time spent looking ahead at the week, Thinking intentionally, we'll talk a little more about that. Saturday night, being prepared for Sunday morning church. Sunday morning making and evening, making it a priority to gather with God's people, to, to serve. And Wednesday night roots, those things that it's not like you wake up every Sunday or Saturday night, you think, well, am I going to go to church tomorrow? No, you're going to go to church tomorrow. Unless you're so sick you can't go to church tomorrow, and then you won't. But it's got to be the exception for you to not do those things. You know, the danger of routines is they can become rote and lack zeal and passion from our heart, but they don't have to. They should be a regular thing that characterizes our life that we are committed to doing. A third principle that can be helpful in managing the use of our time is to look ahead at your week or month or year. Again, most of us just jump from one pressing thing to the next. It's helpful to look ahead and be able to plan and make decisions. Think about your role as a student. Many of you are students and you get your syllabus at the beginning of the semester and, and it tells you most, if not all, of the assignments that are going to be due and when you're going to have exams. It's possible to look at your whole semester and have some idea 
Not entirely. Some profs, you know, may be harder than others that you didn't realize. And some assignments may take longer, but you know pretty much early in that semester how much time you're going to need at various points to accomplish those things. But if you just look one assignment ahead and you say, oh, I'll do this when it's due, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, now I have to spend 12 hours working on this in the next, you know, 18 hours. That makes a, a big part of my life, and I'm probably going to neglect something else that I would have, uh, would have been good for me to do. So look ahead, anticipate what's coming, and think about how does what's coming a month from now affect what I choose to do or not do today or next week. Fourth, plan for divine interruptions. The word you can think of with this is margin. You need to plan for margin in your life. Not talking about divine interruptions like a, you know, a new Instagram post or reel pops up on your phone and you really need to watch that. But there are legitimate interruptions. You know, the phone call from a friend or family member who really needs to talk about something or is in crisis that you can, can minister to them. The opportunity to talk after work or class with an unbelieving classmate or coworker that you've been seeking to build a relationship with. Some of those things that are not fun interruptions like a flat tire or a broken bone or other things of that nature. You know, often we plan our time thinking, well, if everything goes perfectly and I'm a little faster than I've ever been at this and maybe there's a chance I get most everything done that I need to. We can be incredibly optimistic. But we need to recognize that's not how life works. We live in a fallen world. Things happen. And God brings unique opportunities. And so if I'm looking at my day tomorrow or my week next week, and everything's got to go just perfectly for me to get everything done, I probably need to reevaluate how I'm planning the use of my time. Fifthly, use a calendar. Something that helps you to track and document the use of your time and how you need to use that time. Maybe paper, something that you keep, a notebook, a calendar, or maybe electronic. I, I like electronic because my handwriting is awful, so I can't really read it after the fact, and I won't know what I put on my calendar later on, but also because I can look at it on different devices, and I can do repeating appointments and different things, and other people can see that. This is helpful to put things on and a repetitive way that are those routines you're trying to establish. You know, you also may need to put some of your tasks on your calendar because they take time. We'll talk more about that in, in a bit. But make time to look at that calendar. Some of you maybe have a calendar, but you never look at it, and therefore it's not very helpful for you. But having a regular routine of when you get up or early in the day at some point, looking at the calendar for that day, for the week, making sure that you are keeping up with the things that you have a responsibility to do. So manage your time practically. You can spend some time talking with each other this week, talking with your leaders. What are helpful things that you do to manage your time so that you are fulfilling the priorities that God has given you? Balancing the opportunities that God brings in His providence that are unique, balancing rest and and refreshment and, and the things that God says need to characterize you as a, a human, including sleep, making it intentional how we use our time. Secondly, consider how to manage your tasks, the things you have to do. The reality is tasks take time. And so in managing your time, you also need to manage 
your tasks. Again, establishing regular routines is helpful. There are some tasks that you need to do over and over again. Daily things or weekly things that need to be a regular part of your life. A second thing that's important in managing your tasks is to track what needs to be done. Something other than your brain. Now, you are younger than me, and so you may be able to do this better than I can at this stage of life, where you can actually remember most things you have to do. But as life gets increasingly complicated, as you have more things screaming for the use of your time, it's really helpful to keep track of those things so that you don't forget things that are important. Using some sort of a task manager, your cell phone probably has one, reminders, you can get other apps that are helpful, and organizing those things by role or category, by due date, what needs to be done today, what's really important, what can I look towards a future day, what would be nice to do sometime, but it's not the big a deal if I don't get to it, and then prioritize what to do first. So as you look at your day, as you look at your week, what are the things that need to happen, and how do I prioritize those? Starting with what is vital, with the things that God has specifically commanded for you to do, or with those tasks in the role, like as a student, what are the assignments that are most important? What is most critical for you to spend time on? I encourage you to start with the hardest. You know, we tend to procrastinate what's the hardest, right? If you're taking four classes and, and one of them you really enjoy, you probably always get those assignments done. And the one that you really don't enjoy, that's the one that you probably really struggle to get those assignments done. And so start with the one you don't enjoy so that you make sure you get it done, knowing you'll do the other ones. And because um, that helps you to not procrastinate, it's not weighing on you, knowing it's out there and you need to get it done. If we don't do those things that are hard, that we're not excited about, they weigh on us in the back of our mind, distracting us from other things. So get them done and move on to the next thing. And then fourth, plan time to do what needs to be done. If you track what needs to be done, but you never plan time to do it, you will be frustrated and you will not fulfill the things that God has given you to do well with faithfulness. So if it's something that is going to take a significant chunk of time and you have to decide what that is, maybe it's an hour, 30 minutes, whatever, a couple hours, that shows up on your calendar. This is the time where I'm going to do this particular task or at least a significant part of it. Plan time to do what needs to be done. Now, all this sounds great. You can have a calendar. You can have the best to-do list app out there sorted by date and due date and all those things. But if you are simply managing your tasks and managing your calendar and you are not doing the last thing, which is managing yourself, it will not lead to fruitfulness and faithfulness. You see, the reality is you can have the best plan the most organized list of priority tasks, and you cannot do any of them. Because you need to have the self-discipline to actually live how you intend to. You could have the best calendar. Man, my week looks great. I'm, I'm like spending time reading God's Word every day, praying every day. I'm going to church all the time. I've got time set aside to, to talk to my, my siblings. I've got time where I'm going to be faithful to do my schoolwork. I'm showing up to my job early, so I'm ready and able to do it well. That's what my calendar shows. 
But if you look at my life, eh, not so much, right? We have to manage ourselves with self-discipline. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll just see two passages where Paul talks about the discipline that was characteristic of his life. 1 Corinthians, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians 9. Paul specifically here talking about winning others to Christ and the discipline that he lived by in that context. But these principles apply to larger life as well. Look at verse 24. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. He says, hey, you, you know in sports, in games that people are competing in, athletic events, the Olympics or those things, people exercise incredible self-control in order to excel, to win those kinds of things. If you know any high-level athletes, you know they're incredibly careful about things like the sleep they get and the food they eat and the workouts that they do because they want to excel in that sport. Paul says they're doing it for something perishable. We are working for something imperishable. He says, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul says, I live with a discipline that is like unto a, a, a significant high-level athlete, but I do so because I want to be faithful to Christ. I don't want to be disqualified. I want to run to win. Paul says something similar in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, where he says, But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. You can discuss that in your devotion group if you want to. But on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. Again, that's that same idea. Physical training and discipline is, is not bad, but it's limited. It's only of little profit. For, but godliness, he says, is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So how do you cultivate self-discipline? How do you cultivate this idea of making your body your slave, of, of disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness, of doing the hard things that you know you should do, but that you aren't super excited to do or don't feel like doing, but it's the priority that God has given you? Well, I think it starts, as we see in these passages, with motivation. If you don't know why it's important and you don't genuinely believe that it is, you won't do it for very long. If you don't have a clear perspective of why this matters, you will not live a disciplined life. That's why when Paul says, be careful how you walk, making the most of your time, he does so in the larger context that fuels that motivation, as we talked last night. That's why Paul says, discipline yourself for godliness. Godliness is profitable for all things, for eternity. You want to spend your time and energy on something that's valuable, not just for this life, 
But for eternity, he says, seek godliness, growing in character, demonstrating that actively in how you live. You need motivation. If you're struggling to do something that you know you should do, go back and think about why it matters. Biblically, why is it important? Why is it so critical that I live this way as a faithful follower of Christ? Secondly, it it flows from determination. This is not going to be easy, but I'm going to press on. And especially when you are starting new patterns and habits of life, you go back on next week and, and you seek to live more intentionally and it's different than how you used to live. You need the determination that says, this is not going to be easy, but I'm going to continue to press on. Those of you that have been learning to ski or snowboard, you're getting a a little taste of that this week, aren't you? It's like, this is hard. I'd rather be in the hot tub, but I'm going to keep going. Maybe not forever. I'm going to know my limits, and I'm eventually going to end up in the hot tub. But I'm going to continue to, to press on with determination. And then I think thirdly, It's so helpful when we have repetition. The more you do it, the easier and more ingrained in your life it will become. The more you are faithful in the use of your time, building habits and routines that allow you to fulfill the priorities that God's given you, the more you will continue to do those things. And the more those things become ingrained in your life, they will become the new manner of life, the new pattern of life, for how you live. So guys, manage your time, manage your tasks, manage yourself, but do it not for a selfish gain. There's a lot of really disciplined people in our world. A lot of people who are really excited to quote, make the most of their time for their own selfish gain. That's not what Paul's calling us to. Paul is saying, make the most of your time for the sake of Christ and to serve others well to live as He has called us to in His wisdom and will, making the most of each day, of each opportunity that we have. God intends that we be careful how you walk. Big picture, living according to God's wisdom and will, and in the details of life, in the day-to-day of life, making the most of the time. Not frantically running from one thing to the next till you fall in a heap, exhausted and sick, but actively striving to fulfill the priorities God's given you in faithfulness to Him. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for the example of Christ and the Apostle Paul of of a life of disciplined devotion to You and the priorities that You've given. I pray for each of these uh, ones here who, uh, uh, as we strive to honor You in how we live, Lord, I pray that we would make the most of the time, the seasons and opportunities that you've given us as you direct us. Lord, help us to be faithful to fulfill the priorities that are found in your word. Lord, help us to be eager to grow in that. Lord, to to be committed, determined to that kind of life and and to be faithful in, in that in the coming semester, the coming weeks. Lord, give us that discipline and devotion because we desire to honor you We love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.